It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. As some social media posts become detached from reality, we hear about the new online battlefield in the Israel-Gaza conflict, plus the sad postscript to a famous story of 12 teenage soccer players trapped in a cave. I'm Rebecca Myers. And I'm Stuart Willey. The World in 10 brings you the big news stories of the day, explained and analysed by The Times of London. We have brought you plenty of analysis and reporting from the front line in Israel and Gaza in recent weeks. But today we bring you analysis from a very different front, a battle waged on the internet. It is a war within a war, a war for the narrative, fought with the weapon of disinformation. Two reports in The Times and The Sunday Times this weekend look at this issue, analysing social media posts, propaganda, statements and statistics released by both sides to distinguish fact from fiction. Louise Callahan, the Middle East reporter for the Sunday Times, has been on this story and she has found a number of examples of this happening and of inaccuracies being published on both sides. There are two examples in particular that she cites, one by the official Israel Twitter account claiming that Hamas had faked the aftermath of an Israeli strike and another from a Palestinian news site claiming that the massacre carried out by Hamas was nothing more than a propaganda stunt by Israel. Neither of those allegations were true. You can read a lot more in depth about the process, how Louise verified the truth behind both of these stories on our website. But we spoke to Louise, who's on the ground in Israel, about the wider picture of disinformation. Propaganda published by both sides is flourishing in an environment online where people already have such entrenched views and are ready to believe just about everything. I've been covering the Middle East for eight years now, and I've seen a lot of propaganda and a lot of disinformation being published online. This is the worst that I've ever seen, though. It's even impossible, in some cases, for me as a journalist to get to the bottom of what's actually happening. So I can't imagine how difficult it must be for other people who are just consuming the news to try to get to the truth of what's going on. She told us it was a particularly powerful tool in this war. The kind of rhetoric which is published online at the moment is so heightened, so emotional because of the very clear and terrible humanitarian situation on the ground that the things which are published are designed to appeal to these emotions. So on the Israeli side, I've seen a lot of misinformation which focuses on very graphic, very, very gory details of the horrifying crimes that happened on October the 7th, 
when you dig into some of these allegations, then find out that no one knows exactly where they started, that they weren't verified, that investigators haven't heard of them, uh, and that they simply hadn't happened. On the pro-Palestinian side, then you see a lot of false claims uh, about huge military successes by uh, by Hamas, and you, one thing you see very often is minimization of the horror of the attacks on, on October the 7th, saying that they didn't happen or that they that civilians weren't killed. You might have heard the term crisis actor before, the idea that um, there are actors who, who fake scenes of horror and carnage in order to create propaganda for one side. This is not actually a real thing. And so I, I saw this a lot in Syria when I was covering Syria. There was a lot of pro-Assad propaganda which would take pictures of dead children and say that they were actors. This is something, unfortunately, which has continued, into, continued in Ukraine and then now we're seeing it in Israel. With the Times digital subscription, access much more coverage of this conflict, including a fascinating interview on war crimes. David Sheffer was one of the founding fathers of the International Criminal Court. He sat down for the Times, saying, deciding what's a war crime in Gaza will take years. His interview is a good guide to the law of combat, and it's at thetimes.co.uk. It was a story that captured imaginations around the world. Twelve boys, members of a football team, were trapped in a flooded underground cave in Thailand. We were on the edge of our seats for two weeks, wondering if they would make it out. That was back in 2018, and the soccer team was named the Wild Boars. In the end, a team of British and Australian divers worked to rescue the 12 players and their coach. It was a happy ending that seemed made for Hollywood, which duly made multiple films and television series. But what happened to the group next was anything but a happy ending. The Times reporter Ben Ellery has been telling us what happened after the rescue. Subsequently, they were actually subject to this media storm and it was quite difficult for for the boys and um, in particular uh, Dom, as he was known to his friends, um, struggled with the attention. When we looked at what the uh, what they've been through after the, the, the rescue, the, the Thai government really tried to um, capitalise on the feel-good factor of um, the, the rescue and including uh, building a 33-foot replica of the cave and the boys had to clamber through it in front of the, the world's media and were shuttled uh, all over the world, from Argentina to even um, Fukushima. Psychologists had warned the boys needed to be protected from the attention. Children who have faced trauma should be allowed to return to their regular lives. But for Dom, the captain of the team, things seemed to be looking up. He got a sports scholarship to study overseas, but then... A few months ago, he died by suicide at a boarding school in England. It was very tragic. After he uh, killed himself, the body was not uh, repatriated. So his mother had to watch the funeral from her home in Thailand on a, um, on, a on an internet stream. The the coffin was subsequently cremated. So we w- really wanted to to kind of tell this story of what happened to this uh, poor boy who, who sadly died age seventeen. The team picked up and that we played really well and created chances and, and that we played good football. I think that was really positive. 
Okay, it didn't bring us the win, but there was so many. That's the voice of Serena Vigman, the head coach of the Lionesses, England's women's soccer team. She's speaking about their defeat to the Netherlands a few weeks ago. Now, if you listen to any radio or television, it's a voice you've heard a lot of in post-match press conferences recently, particularly after England narrowly missed out on victory at the World Cup. But Rebecca, you've been telling me she's quite an enigma. Yes, I met Serena when she first took the job in in England um, because I was a football reporter at the time. Ah. I was covering women's football and she's so you know she's so friendly she's so warm and charismatic but I feel like you kind of almost never quite know what she's really thinking you see her there on the side of the pitch and you you think this is this woman who's achieved more than sort of anyone really in in the world of, of women's sport almost um now we can a bit. So I really wanted to recommend this piece because it's such an insight into, you know, behind the, the brains who's who's brought England to these amazing places in football. She always seems slightly icy, like very serious when she's being interviewed. Does that continue in, in when you're one-on-one with her? Yeah, she's, she's, she is serious, but I think that she's got this warmth to her too. And um, this really comes across in this great interview by Jane Mark Herons, which is in The Times today. It's for her new book. She's written this part sort of memoir, um, part book on female leadership called What It Takes. And, and you get this insight into also the death of her sister and, and all the personal things she was going through at the time when you know she was expected to perform on the world stage so i really wanted to recommend it because it's it's a great piece you can find this piece on the times website that's thetimes.co.uk now ah italy where the, the ancient city of Florence is full of some of the world's greatest artworks, from Michelangelo's David to Botticelli's Birth of Venus. And then there's the architecture. It's an incredible place, recognised by UNESCO as a World Heritage Site. Now a small secret room, closed for many, many years, has been uncovered. And later this month, Tom Kington, a Times correspondent in Italy, tells us there is a rare chance to see artworks that might be the earliest examples of Michelangelo's work. These are very you know, fragile sketches. They haven't been treated, they haven't been covered in any way. So they want to limit the visits. So you're going to have to get in there and, and soak it all up quite quickly. Um, what's I found really interesting was that some of the sketches appear to be fairly random doodles, sort of squirrels of shapes. And uh, and then you look closer and you can see that actually there's a, a human body there, which just shows you that that some of these sketches were were very quick. Uh, they weren't well prepared. He was he was literally doodling. And uh, so that makes it just so fascinating. You, you, you just really feel that you're you're there in the kind of the engine room of his creativity. I have to say, I'm actually going to Florence on holiday in a few days and I am just missing oh, this no. opening, which is quite agonising. I'll just leave as it opens, but um, I'll have to listen to tomorrow's episode instead. Yes, transport yourself to that engine room of creativity. Discover the debate on whether the doodles are really by that big star of the Renaissance art scene on the next World in 10. But from us, that's all for now. Thanks for your time today. The Top World Stories in 10 with The Times of London. The Times of London. 